Ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chicky Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chicky, and we have such a special show planned today. A little bit of a departure from what we normally do. We normally focus on a specific book that's already available uh, for you to go ahead and buy, and we are going to be talking uh, back again by popular demand, Sam Horn. And Sam, uh, we have actually interviewed her several times, uh, the first time uh, about her book, Pop, Create the Perfect Pitch, Title, and Tagline for Anything, and that interview was all the way back in 2009 when we first launched the show. Uh, and uh, we've also talked about Tung Fu and a bunch of other things. So uh, without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Sam Horn. Hello, Chicky, and everyone listening, I am so glad you're joining us because I'm about to share some disruptive epiphanies that happened as a result of me uh, taking off on a year by the water. Great. So, Sam, I have to uh, ask you what was the catalyst? And I'm, I'm sure there were many, but, but what was the thing that, that made you pause and, and decide that this was going to be a really good thing for you? You know, there were there's three quick catalysts, and one was um, I had just finished a, an exhausting two-day consult, and as Brene Brown says, exhaustion is not a status symbol. And uh, <laughs> rats. <laughs> and, and my son called and he sensed something in my voice. He said, Mom, what's going on? And I said, gee, I'm so exhausted. I don't even want to get on that plane tonight. I've got to take the red eye and then I'm back in a couple days. And he said, Mom, there's something about you I don't understand. You've created a life where you can do anything you want and you're not taking advantage of it. And I thought, wow, he's right. <laughs> and uh, and then I had a little bit of a health scare. I had a respiratory thing that wouldn't go away. And uh, a doctor really was frustrated. He said, I see so many people who are working themselves to death. He said, mm -hmm. I don't understand it. And he said, you're lucky because you can have a pack and you're going to be better in 10 days. But if you don't start taking better care of yourself, uh, your body's going to do something more drastic to get your attention. And then I saw a quote by Paulo Coelho, and he said, one day you're going to wake up and there won't be any time left to do the things you've always mm. wanted to do. <laughs> that, yeah. That's really powerful, Sam. So, you know, before we, we dive into your, your year, um, would you give our listeners uh, just the thumbnail of you? I know we call you the intrigue expert, which, you know, I love that you have focused your your work life on helping others create, you know, one-of-a-kind presentations and pitches and, and brands and, and even books. 
um, that allow people uh, really to influence other people. And, and I, that's one of the things I've loved about uh, being connected with you, even though we don't talk as often as I would like. Uh, you know, I've always wanted to have the money to hire you. And, and uh, you know, I, I believe this next year is going to be the year. So hopefully you're coming back from your year, you know, raring to go and, and ready to help again. But Sam, why don't you give us, what did you do before you started writing books? Well, I've been very fortunate. Uh, for the last 20 plus years, I've I've had the holy trinity of uh, writing, speaking, and in consulting. And I both published books, Pop and Kung Fu, and Got Your Attention. And I helped start and run the Maui Writers Conference, which was kind of like what Can is to the film industry. We were to the publishing industry. Wow. So that's the writing side of the triangle. And then I've been fortunate to to be a speaker. So on these topics. Everything from Boeing and Cisco and Intel and NASA and Asian Leadership Conference and so forth. And now I also help people with their TED Talks, their short talks, South by Southwest. Mm. And uh, and then the, the third is coaching and consulting. And I really believe that it's crowded out there and uh, we need to be one of a kind instead of right. one of many. So how can we put together something that adds value, that's relevant, and that's congruent with our experience and expertise and epiphanies. And how can we offer something that people haven't seen before, that they need, that they value, that they'll pay for, and that puts the light on in our eyes? Right, right. Well, and and isn't that really the core? And and I know your year had had, had a lot to do with kind of reclaiming that joy. And and the I, I was sharing with you before we got on the air that, you know, I've written a book that's an allegorical business novel that's coming out this summer uh, by the same name as our show. And the theme throughout that book is, and, and I've got both male characters in this technology company and female characters, and you would expect this out of the women, but not so much out of the men, of realizing that what what's missing uh, even if they love what they're doing, is joy, right? And and so that quest for joy is is a message that I knew I had to get out, and that this book was a vehicle for doing that. But let's let's turn to your trip. So how did you how did you even decide how you were going to do it? And and what <laughs> you know, water was this common theme. So how did that emerge? Now, now is the woo-woo part of the program here. <laughs> I was, I was on tour for my uh, latest book, Got Your Attention, and I'm driving along uh, the coast by Santa Barbara in California, and an idea wants to be born. Now, I know from Maui Writers Conference that uh, we've got to ink it when we think it. So right. I pulled over and I pulled out a piece of paper and pen, and this is what poured out. And I'm not making this up. You cannot make this kind of stuff right. up. And out poured this manifesto, and it was, um, some people are drawn to fire. I am drawn to water. <laughs> After all, we are 67% of water. You know, each of us, all of us, is a body of water. Yet water is a Maslow hierarchy-satisfied need, and we tend to overlook and take for granted satisfied needs. So it is that I will set out on my year by the water, and I will, and I will visit mountain streams and lakes and rivers and oceans, and I will write about my experiences and my adventures, and, and I will start out on October 1st, and I am not supposed to control this. I am supposed to cooperate with what wants to happen. Well, I know how unusual it is 
for a calling to be downloaded with a name and a, a deadline date. <laughs> oh, no kidding! No kidding. I, I've had I've had that experience, so it's very interesting to hear that 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 happened in such specificity. <laughs> See, you know, I have a friend who spoke uh, at her commencement for her alma mater, and uh, it was a small college. And after the ceremonies, all the grads got up on stage for a group photo. And with great fanfare, they all opened their robes and they were wearing T-shirts underneath that said, I don't know, <laughs> which is a ubiquitous, so what are you going to do with your degree? You know, So what are you going to do next? And right. a lot of people, they don't get a calling. And so I've actually come up with a way to figure out what it is you could do next that you can start doing now. You know, what is it that maybe it doesn't call you? Maybe it's not as crystal clear as that. However, maybe it's something that used to put the light on in your eyes and you set it aside because someone told you it wouldn't pay bills or that, um, you know, you can't make a, you can't make a living out of that. Or exactly. what I, you know, Chris, you know, Chiggy, what I found on this, that this travels again and again is people talking wistfully about what they were going to do someday. Mm. They feel so locked into their responsibilities. You know, I've got a family to raise, bills to pay, a job. They feel they can't do what they really want. And I really feel that's a path to regret. So I'm a woman on a mission to help mm. us figure out what we can do now, not someday, that will put the light back on in our eyes. Well, you know, the interesting thing is you were talking about uh, us being made of of water, right? We are water. And then when you talked uh, about your manifesto and that you were going to visit all of these different bodies of water, what I saw in my own mind was that you were not only going to see physical bodies of water, but it, you were going to see people in a new light. And some people are puddles some people are ponds right some people are bays and rivers and oceans right and or or perhaps even that stagnant uh pond that has like grown over with the green stuff that we you know you look at it and you say right and 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 it's it's each one of those people getting to that place where they realize that they need to be flowing like a river or they need to expand uh, their their banks, if you will, right, as we sometimes have to do uh, in our personal lives, our professional lives, our spiritual lives, I mean, all of that together. So uh, I don't know if that same epiphany came to you as, as one of these disruptive things uh, over the course of your year, but, um, you know, you, it's... You know, it's in- Go ahead. It's interesting, Chicky, because what you're just saying is that when I started out, I really felt that the trip was going to be about water and about the allegory and metaphor of water. You know, it's it's. Uh, I was going to go to Sanibel Beach, and is it true mm-hmm. what Anne Mora Lindbergh said about you can't pick up all the beautiful shells on the beach? You know, and right. I I went to the river in Montana. You know, a river runs through it. Is it true you can't step in the same river twice? So. So I was very clear I wasn't supposed to plan it. I was supposed to partner with it. I wasn't supposed to start with the end in mind. I was supposed to start with an open mind. And what I discovered, and it really leads to these disruptive epiphanies, is what happens when we give ourselves time and space. I discovered that so many of us, me included, are on this aircraft carrier of responsibility and routine. 
And do you know how you stop an aircraft carrier, Chicky? <laughs> I certainly have seen it. <laughs> but you don't. You know, yeah. you, you can turn the engine on. And it's still, that has so much mass and momentum. It just keeps steaming along. You have to put the engines in full reverse. And then it still takes four miles and for it to come to a halt. And see, for many of us, we have been doing the same kind of work. We live in the same kind of place. We have, we have the same kinds of routines. And what I have found is we will keep steaming along unless we have some time and space. And mm. just a quick thought about that is, you know, Aristotle said an unexamined life is not worth living. And I think that many of us are too busy to examine our lives. And so yeah. we keep all with these default beliefs that we've had for 20, 30 years. You know, it's better to give than receive, right? Winners right. never quit, right? Hard work is the secret to success, right? These are the aircraft carrier beliefs that drive yeah. our life. And it was only when I had an opportunity, the luxury of some time and space and experiences that it was like, OMG, <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> that that is that is a strength taken to an extreme, which has become our Achilles heel. And I have discovered so much the opposite. So let me stop talking because I I know I can get revved up about this. So you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I I'm I'm pondering uh, my my own life as you're talking, and one of the things that occurred to me, my, um, and you may not know this about me, and our listeners may not know. But this this radio show I've been doing now for nine years, and but it is something that I have never uh, monetized. Uh, it's not part of my my revenue mix in my company, and uh, it used to be that we had a group that would actually be on the phone listening to the author, and at the end of the interview, and this is probably the case when I first uh, interviewed you um, about Pop the people who are participating in the call would be able to ask questions, right, and, and interact directly with the author uh, off of recording, right? That was the private part of the call. And and it was great fun. And then at, at one point, um, I uh, it, the call used to be at 4 o'clock every Friday afternoon. And, and the whole thing was built so that and it was a group of women. We called it the Executive Girlfriends Group. And we did it so that we could transition from our business lives during the week, right, to our personal lives on the weekend. And for me, it was extra hard because my husband worked with me. So we were at the office all day and we were at home, you know, obviously together after work and on the weekends. But we never had any time apart from who we were, like, in the business. And um, over time, my husband um, actually got a job, which was wonderful because it, it, uh, I had been the breadwinner for the in entirety of our marriage. And, and here he was, 61 years old, and got the job of his dreams and is still very, very happy, you know, five years later in that job. Um, but what happened is uh, he didn't like that he got home at 4 o'clock on a Friday and I was on the phone. So I switched the call time to noon. And, you know, which was just going to be a whole lot more conducive. And I thought, well, you know, people can make this their lunch hour. And if, if, if they're, you know, on the West Coast, it's a little bit of an early lunch, right? But uh, what happened is everybody dropped off and nobody started participating anymore. And then my husband kept saying, Chicky, why are you doing this? And I thought, well, because this is the high point of my week. It's when I actually can take myself 
out of the tyranny of the urgent and and the many, many, many things that are on my very long entrepreneurial list of things to do and where I can actually work on me. You know, I'm this is actually very selfish that I'm doing this. I'm not, you know, being um, magnanimous to these authors, you know, who I'm helping them sell their books and whatever. I'm not doing it for that. I mean, it's a nice side benefit for them. But, um, you know, what you just said is that, you know, we really do need to stop. And I'm, I'm just getting ready to go on a, a weekend uh, where there are, I don't know how many are coming this weekend. I think it's 20 uh, young girls uh, from 15 to 18 years old. And, and we've got 100 women who are serving the weekend and serving those girls and, and making sure that they're not uh, having to worry about their own needs. And, and you know, it has a, a faith base uh, behind it. But we're not supposed to bring our computer or our phones. And, um, you know, normally in, in whatever role I'd be in, that would be the case. But I, I'm heading up communications, which means I have to do the PowerPoints for the speakers and the music and all of that. So I, I'm thinking I need to really, like, just disengage from the Internet portion of my computer because that's and what – you know, you yeah, know, pre- so much. Chicky, let's go something to see what you said uh, about the selfish word, because I can only imagine I'm putting myself in the shoes of people listening to us, and they're thinking, "Well, la di da, I'm so glad that you took off on your year by the water. I would love to do that, <laughs> but I've got a family to raise. You know, I'm right. still paying off college debt, or I have bills to pay, or I have. Do you know that?" That 67% of Americans, no, excuse me, 29% of Americans are taking care. This is, this is a statistic from the U.S. Bureau of, of Health. Right. 29% of Americans are taking care of a disabled, an ill, or an elderly parent. So oh, I, I am very careful. Well, I, I want to be now, and I am in this book, is that I, I am not saying you have to walk away from your responsibilities. I'm not saying that you have to quit your job. I'm not saying that you have to overhaul your life because for many people, that is just not feasible. It's just not an option. And they they think, well, I would love to stop, but quite frankly, I've got three kids. I'm a single mom. I'm working and I'm doing this, you know, so it really just doesn't seem like an option. So so let's go to, to two points right now that are doable. That, that even in the midst of a busy life with a lot of obligations, people can put themselves in their story because that's, yes. that is one of the things. My other son said to me when I told him about this, do you know what he said? What? He said, so you're finally going to put yourself in your own story. Oh. And, and I think that many of us are responsible. We take care of everyone. We take care of our kids. We take care of our, our partner. We take care mm-hmm. of our employees. We take care of the, our neighbors. We take care of our extended family. And where are we in the mix? So I am not suggesting that we, be, we only think of our needs. We only think of our right. dreams and goals. I'm not suggesting we become selfish. What I'm just suggesting is that we no longer self-sacrifice and that right. we actually step up. And so here are two quick examples in business of how we can do what we're talking about. It's um, when I lived in Hawaii, I, I played a lot of tennis back then, and I played um, with a woman who was a realtor there in, in Wailea. So we played a couple times a week, and then the bottom dropped out of the market, and she said, Sam, I can't afford to play tennis anymore. I've got to find new clients. And I said, Kathy, 
why don't you go to the concierge of the Four Seasons and the Wailea and let them know that if they have a guest who's looking for a good singles match because she was a 4-5 player, that you're right. available. Well, you know, Kathy was playing tennis again two or three times a week. The next week, and she had, within a month, she had several new clients buying properties because we can leverage our hobby often yes. into our career so that it is not frivolous. It's not fun when we do when we, our work is done. We're actually doing what keeps us healthy and fit and outside, and we're good at it, and we're using it as an organic way to market ourselves. Now, she wasn't right. pushy or selly. She didn't, you know, she didn't pressure anyone. It's just natural after a good game of tennis. So what do you do? I'm a realtor. Or oh, what's going on with the market these days? <laughs> oh, well, you know, we've actually got some properties for a So, so see, there are ways um, for us to think, what do I love? Is it photography? You know, is it how can I integrate that into my life? So I'm not taking time away from my loved ones. I'm actually doing something in a way that serves me and my business and career and other people in a way that's a win for all involved. Right. I love that example. I love that example. But I do want to hear about your trip and whether whether people can take a year off and do this kind of thing. I am fascinated um, by, you know, just the sheer logistics of it. So where did you stay well, here's the logistics is I gave away 95% of what I owned. <laughs> is mm, I that, love that part. <laughs> you know, I, I'm very fortunate to have a friend, Mary Lilverty, who you might want to interview, yes. Chickie. Oh, uh, I, I actually have had her on the show. Wonderful. Then you know Mary, and uh, Mary's a longtime friend, a Oprah favorite, uh, um, a Hall of Fame speaker. And and Mary, for her friends, does something that's, that is uh, – Really, it, you, you're about game changing. It changed my life, Chicky. is that she came to my home and I've never, material things didn't matter to me. And she showed me that material things absolutely matter. And if we are surrounded by broken things, dysfunctional things, cluttered things, it is absolutely impacting our mental state, our physical and emotional health. So at one point, and I'm going to tell just a quick story about that, and then I'm going to shift into how what she did freed me up to let go so I was free to go. But here's one quick example. When she came to the house, I lived on a lake, and I had these floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking the lake, and I didn't mm -hmm. have curtains on them because, you know, why would I? Mother Nature, oh, right. right? No, I live in exactly the same kind of place, looking out over yeah. a beautiful lake. <laughs> right. So see, Mary looked at that and she said, well, why don't we put some shears on those windows? And I said with complete unequivocal, well, why would I? You know, you can't improve on Mother Nature. Right. Well, in her inimitable way, she said, well, why don't we experiment? We can always take them back. So, so I went to bed, bath and beyond for the first time in my life. And it was like the curtain department was calling me. And I walked over and wrapped my arms around these sheer curtains with these little gold tassels. And, and when she put them up, I stepped back and I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, it's, it's like you don't have to be torn between two worlds. You can have the best of both worlds. And, and where else was I making absolute statements? Where else was I saying this is the right way, the only way, where I needed to abandon mm. that absolute and open myself up to something that was even better than what I unequivocally thought. 
So now here's a here's a quick example of one of these, and it it was really one of the um, experiences that opened my eyes to these lifelong behaviors and beliefs that were driving my life. Um, I was in New York, and I um, was going to have dinner with my son. So he had known that I was eating lean, green, and protein at that point. So he made reservations at a at what I found out later was one of the top five vegetarian restaurants in New York. So he's running a little bit late. He says, Mom, go ahead and order. Well, I look over what I think is the menu. It's only got 12 items on it. It's tofu this and kale that. The <laughs> only thing I thought I could eat was linguine. So I ordered some linguine. So Andrew shows up, and he looks at me, and he looks at this pile of steaming linguine, and he said, Mom, I thought you weren't eating pasta. And I said, I'm not. <laughs> he looks at the linguine, and he looks at me, and he says, <laughs> Then why did you order the pasta? And now I I said, Andrew, it's not a big deal. You know, we only have an hour. You know, how how are things going with you? Because I'm thinking it's not that important. It's not a big deal. We He made a big effort to come to this restaurant. I don't want to make a scene. I don't want to right. hurt his feelings. You know, so, and and he said, Mom, do you know what a mixed message that sends? <laughs> and... I thought, Chicky, how and and I want every single one of us on the call to ask ourselves how many times we give up what we want right. or we do what we don't really want. But see, it's not a big deal because we care about other people. We don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't want to make a scene. We don't want to, you know, right. like cause a conflict. And so we just give it up. The cumulative impact of that over a lifetime is that we no longer even know what we want <laughs> mm-hmm. and that it's that we think we're doing it to help, but what we're doing is we're sending mixed messages and right. that it actually often makes things worse because people, well, so one more, one more thing about that. I'm driving along the Pacific Coast Trail. Now, I was going to get there at noon uh, or the Pacific Coast Highway, Highway 1 in California. I was going to get there at noon because I had a five-hour drive ahead of me. But it, suffice it to say, circumstances, I didn't get there till dusk. Now, I didn't even think about it until a half an hour later when it was pitch black. And I mean, I mean dark. You can't see anything except right. to your headlights. Now, in the day, you can see those hairpin turns. You know that you're going to be making this 90-degree turn. So right. you maintain your equilibrium. But at night, since you can't do that, I lost my equilibrium. And it became this incredibly surreal experience where they're doing construction, so it's only one lane, these little thin guardrails, and then these sheer cliffs down 1,000 feet. I'm driving along at 10 miles an hour. And as a truck zooms up behind me and honks, and I do what I always do. I pull over, right? right. But the pullover was gravel, and it was a lot shorter than I thought. Oh, yeah. And I almost went over the edge. And and Chicky, I'm sitting there shaking and I'm thinking a lifetime default of no, you go ahead, you first. You right. go ahead. It almost cost me my life. And so I'm wow. reaching out to everyone and saying, Is it no, you go ahead. No, what do you want? You first. And see that's a lovely quality. And I think that many of us have taken it to an extreme. And it is not selfish for us to ask ourselves, what puts the light on in my eyes? What am I good at? What do I look forward to? 
And I'm not talking about abandoning everything else. I'm just talking about bringing that back into your life, whether it's an hour a week, because it can balance the service so that we're serving ourselves and we're serving everyone else in our life. Right, right. Well, you know, and and it's so interesting when you begin to do that self, um, you know, just just looking at your life uh, with clarity rather than looking at a list of things to do, right? Yeah, and the yeah. other day, my my husband had been wanting me to subscribe to this uh, this new wine ordering service that you know supposedly you know like took into account your tastes. But when I looked at the platform, it was like it was red wine or white wine. And it's like, well, I don't like every white wine. I only like dry white wines. And, and so they were going to send me stuff that I, I knew I wouldn't like. And, and you know, at first I, I kept – it was clear he wanted to do this, and so I kept trying to accommodate him. And then I finally said, honey, you know, this is going to cost us like, I don't know, $60, $70 a month. And I said, why don't we just make a date once a month to go find a wine tasting somewhere here and let's taste and buy what we like. And that would also give us this date time, right? Which we don't, we don't ever go anywhere. You know, my, my husband is in his, you know, late sixties and has always been a homebody, but I would like to get out every once in a while because he travels all week and then comes home and just wants to stay home. And, and so that allowed us to do what we love together, you know, which is wine tasting, and, but, but to do it in a way that was uh, a little bit adventuresome. And, and he loved the idea. Uh, so I realized that, you know, I, I shouldn't have wasted that week or two going back and forth about, you know, why are we spending this money and, you know, not knowing what these – six bottles of wine are going to be, and I don't want to have to ship them back, right? I was thinking about one more yep. thing to do in my life. You know, see, Chicky, what you just said was so important. You used the word accommodate, and yep. uh, and yet you are, you are a problem solver. You are proactive. So here's a quick example about that mirrors what you just did, because once again, it's about looking ahead to a better solution. It's not just jumping off the aircraft carrier, stopping something, you know. <laughs> right. It is thinking ahead and doing it in a more effective way that's a win for everyone. So the very first day of my year by my water, I am driving to Chesapeake Bay where someone has lent me their vacation home for a couple weeks. So um, as I, uh, I, my friends gave me a send-off dinner, and as we're walking out, one says rather casually, keep an eye out for the hurricane. <laughs> it's like, hurricane? <laughs> you know, I've been so busy shutting off utilities and you know, so forth that I had not been watching the news. And so I start driving. And uh, as I get to Annapolis, you know, the winds are so strong. I have both hands, 10 and 2 on the wheel to <laughs> keep from getting blown off the road, branches. And, and Chicky, this little spot bubble just kind of popped up out of my head. And do you know what it said? Why drive into a hurricane? <laughs> but right. I had commitments to keep, right? I had told her that I would be there. She'd made this offer I needed to, like, keep my commitment, right? And then it was like, no, at what point do we keep our commitments, <laughs> you know, and put ourselves at risk? So I, I texted her, and I said, thanks so much with the weather, uh, a change in plans. And she texted back in a couple minutes, and she said, smart decision, you know, the house is always going to be there when you're ready. And and half an hour later, I was in this incredible B&B in right. Annapolis, safe and snuggled under, and I thought, once again, a default. Well, 
I grew up in a small town and we had a lot of animals and if it was freezing outside and I said did I have to feed the rabbits yes they my parents wouldn't say yes they're counting on you you know can you imagine how hungry you know what they would say they would say do the right thing and so I would go out and feed the rabbits and I think that many of us do the right thing and we keep our commitments no matter what and yet my friend said Sam that has become like part of our family lore because my daughter um they always go to her husband's house for thanksgiving but mm-hmm. her but their family has full of conflict and aunts and uncles and cousins complaining and arguing and there's nothing for our young kids to do and it's right. kind of a nightmare experience but why do we go well we've made a commitment we always go that's just what we do <laughs> but see just like you chicky they got proactive this year because they know it's a hurricane and they keep driving into that hurricane because doggone it they're supposed to right but they thought wait a minute and they have a timeshare so they got in touch with with his folks and they said instead of us paying for our family to come to thanksgiving we would like to pay for you to come and join us at this oceanside timeshare we'll get so much more time together you'll get more time with the grandkids you know it's and you know what? It ended up being a better solution. Of and instead course. of driving into that doggone hurricane mm. like they have been for years, they actually came up with a proactive, better option that was a win for all. And that's kind of what we're talking about, right? is to look at what we do automatically and ask ourselves, is there a better way? <laughs> well, and how funny way? and how fitting that you're talking about the destructive power of water now, right? So we were talking about some of the positive things that come from water, and you just gave an example of, you know, using the hurricane, and because I'm a Floridian too, you know, we're very familiar with that. Um, So what other epiphanies, um, were there over over the course of the year, and I know that there were too many uh, to share on this show. And remind me what your new book is is called. It is called. Are you ready? <laughs> there a year is no by the present. water. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, there is no present like the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, you were so wonderful. <laughs> well, you know the the Buddha said, you know the the thing is, we think we have time. And right. and this is the river that runs through this experience is is mm-hmm. that so many of us are waiting and we're putting it off and, and it's not that we're procrastinating, it's just we feel we can't do more of what we really or we don't know what we really want or we feel locked in. So so here is and by the way, I am I've been blogging about my adventures now for several years on my site Serendestiny dot com. Mm-hmm. So it's S E R E N D-E-S-T-I-N-Y. So people can go and, and see my top 10 lesson learns are there and the adventures and epiphanies. Here's one of the most important ones is that um, when I made this announcement at the National Press Club, most people said, oh, you know, take me with you. Yay. <laughs> right. But there were a few people who expressed concerns. One pulled me aside and, and he said, Sam, you got to control this story. If you take yourself off the grid, when you come back, that business you've built over the last 20 years could be gone. You know, you can't right. put the genie back in the bottle. And someone else said, what, are you having a midlife crisis? Are you on your deathbed? Is something wrong? What's, what catalyzed this? And another said, I could just never do nothing. You know, I'd go crazy if I didn't work. 
And I, I told them, this is not a midlife crisis. This is midlife clarity. Right. And one oh, of the... I love that. <laughs> you would think one you were the... involved in branding, lady. <laughs> midlife clarity. Love it. And see, it is, is that we, we don't have to wait for something wrong to do more of what's right. Is that, mm-hmm. um, and so one of the most important things is that let's go back to people who really don't know what this is. And I've actually created like a little four box question quiz where people can figure out what it is they could do more of an hour a week, once a month, something that would make them um, look forward to that day or that time or experience. And yet many people, what I found is that they're waiting to have their ducks in a row to go. It's like, well, if I don't know, I don't go. (laughs) And what I found is, you know, people can't jump on your bandwagon if you don't get it out of the garage. And I was in Morro Bay, California, and I went for my morning walk to the rock. And here is, uh, this gathering of people on shore and they're all pointed out toward the mouth of the harbor. And I went over, I said, what's going on? And the guy said very excitedly, he said, the replica ship, the San Salvador is sailing in today on its mail, uh, maiden voyage. So I, I ran to the mouth of the harbor just in time for this magnificent ship to emerge from the fog. And I was speaking at a writer's conference the next day. And as part of my opening keynote, I included that that many of us are waiting for our ship to come in mm-hmm. and we are waiting for that moment of clarity or we are waiting for something to go wrong. We're waiting until we have more time or money or freedom or health or whatever. And um, and writers don't wait for their ship to come in. They write their way out to it. And a woman mm-hmm. came up to me afterwards and she said, my brother-in-law is the captain of the San Salvador. Would you like to interview him? Well, that would be a yes. <laughs> really? So the next day, I'm below decks with the captain, and he tells me this incredible story, is that they had the San Diego Maritime Museum had the vision for doing this ship because they understood if something, if a movement doesn't have something tangible, it doesn't happen. Like Nell Merlino, uh, the founder of Take Your Daughter to Work Day, is a client. And, you know, they had a day in the year for girls to go and see people in different professions. She didn't complain about there are no role models other than being a secretary and a teacher. She did something. She had a date on the calendar where people had a chance. Well, the same thing is that they decided to build this ship so that people in California could appreciate their history. Well, the the problem was is the budget of the Maritime Museum is $2.9 million a year, and the budget for the ship was $6.7 million. So see, oh, wow. it's no go, right? Too expensive, we can't afford it. But Ray had a vision. He said, we're going to build the ship in public. We're going to. We're not going to build it in isolation in some warehouse somewhere. We're going to build it in an open yard right by the airport in this busy freeway where everyone driving by sees it and gets mm-hmm. excited about it and jumps on board. Chicky, within two weeks, they had 50 volunteers. Now, these were regular people, but they were also ships. They were actually retired naval officers. They were actually, you know, active shipbuilders and so forth. And what happened is over the course of building the ship, they would run into a seemingly insurmountable obstacle. For example, they needed white oak to build it, and they bought up the entire Mm -hmm. world supply of white oak. 
Oh well, gosh. they they came to the they shaped it and they put the epoxy on it, and the epoxy was contaminated and ruined it. <gasps> All right, the whole project oh. came to a halt. Right, but oh, guess what? No. One of their volunteers says, "You know, I used to work for this contractor out in the valley, and I think that they use some, you know, and." And so that contact led to a whole new supply that they never even knew about of a similar type of wood that actually worked. Then, by the time they started getting the lead to put in the hole to give it the weight that it needed, the price of lead had gone astronomical. They could no longer afford it. So you would love this as a branding person, Chicky. They had to get the lead out program. But people are bringing in their fish ball bearing, ball bearings and so forth. They're not going to get... So once again, one of their volunteers said, you know, I think that there's this, and they went out of business, and it's worth a call. Well, so he called this former um, contractor, and he said, how much do you need? And he said, 187,000 pounds of lead. And he said, well, let me check. And he called back the next day, and he said, I have 190,000 pounds of lead. You can have it for free. So now, what's the lesson of all this for us is that, do not do this in isolation. Is that get to, you know, I have on my Seren Destiny site, I have questions, I have quizzes. Get together with a friend over lunch. You know, start talking about a trusted friend about what the two of you could do that would both do this to crystallize what is your ship, you know, and you're not going to wait for it to come in. You're going to, you're not going to think about it in isolation by yourself. Right. You're not going to wait until you have all your ducks in a row. You're going to use these questions and quizzes to crystallize something, and then you're going to launch it. And then wonderful things are going to happen. I promise you. You know, if we had time, I could go on and on and on about swimming with Zach the dolphin, and I didn't even know he existed an hour before. And once you get your bandwagon out of the garage, your ship out of harbor, People will jump on board and you will have launched it and you will never regret doing it. You will only regret not doing it sooner. Wow. Wow. Well, this was so timely for me personally. And and again, Sam, it has just been amazing uh, to reconnect with you. And uh, this is our year to to work together. I'm going to find a way to make that happen. Sam, when will your book uh, actually be uh, be out? And I know it's kind of a, a staged schedule normally with, with book production. So why don't you tell us about the timing? The, the book, There Is No Time Like the Present, will come out in January uh, 2018, which sounds okay. like a long way away. However, People can access uh, these stories and many of ones that we didn't even talk about, Zach the Dolphin and so forth, on serendestiny.com, and they can come along for the – my goal is to make this a virtual road trip. So you don't have to take off on your own year by the water, is that by reading these posts, you can uh, have your own experiences, your own disruptive epiphanies, and uh, hopefully be inspired by them, and I, I – Cannot tell you how many people have gotten in touch and told me that as a result of reading that, the, the, they they got a um, an insight and they did something differently. They started something, they stopped mm-hmm. something, they did something differently, and it's already made a difference both in their career and in their business and in their life, and that's one of my hopes and goals. Well, Sam, it has been wonderful, and you already uh, you got a head start on what I normally end the show with, which is telling folks how they can reach you. So I will just remind them uh, you had given the website Serendestiny, 
S E R E N D E S T I N Y, correct? Dot com. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, I'm assuming because you're such an amazing marketer that from there they can figure out how to follow you on social media and and um, you know all of those kinds of fun things. They sure can. In fact, I do a quote a day um, on on Instagram, on Twitter, on my mm. Facebook page. So. So follow us along, and uh, I also speak on this. In fact, I just spoke on this to Mechanical Contractors of America, and wow. people are really resonating. Uh, there have been a lot of people working, 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 and they know that um, there is a better way, and I have been thrilled with how this has actually revitalized my business. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, I wasn't taking time off work. I was doing a different kind of work that has uh, now evolved into i still speak on pop and got your attention and tongue fu and on this topic as well that people are finding so meaningful Mm. well i absolutely love it and sam it has just been wonderful again we have been talking with sam horn and uh just stay tuned because we will uh we will as soon as her book is out we will make sure to uh, announce that on the gamechanger.network And thank you so much for joining us today, and we will see you again next week. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. 